Hey y'all, this is Hamza, and I'm super happy we get to hang out for a little bit. Welcome to Hanging Out with Hamza. Today we have a special guest on. She's one of my good friends. This is um, special to me because we're going to be talking about mental health, which I find super interesting and I've focused a lot more on in the last two years. Uh, And I was lucky enough to meet Lacey, who has been extremely awesome and kind of like guiding me along the way, you know, on top of having a therapist. And Luckily enough, she is a therapist, a licensed therapist, and so we'll be covering that and talking about Lacey's passions. Um, Just to give you like a background, Lacey and I have been friends for almost a year now, and uh, yeah, our friendships developed really naturally. Uh, We're both huge fans of the same artists and music. We're really close in that stratosphere, Um, and she lives in Austin as well, and so I really wanted to have her on the podcast to talk in person about this stuff because I feel like this is one of those discussions that are better had in person too. Um, but yeah, I'm just going to pass the torch over to Lacey, let her introduce herself and give you all a bit more uh, info about herself. Oh man. Hello. I know other guests said they're nervous, but me too, even though we're together, I'm like, oh my gosh. So, uh, first of all, I adore this human. I'm so honored to be seriously on this. And I think it's so exciting that there's these conversations happening between friends because you don't always get the opportunity to like talk through these things. And I think it's such a gift. So that's my first thing. And I think you have done so much growing even in the last year since I first met you. you. And like seeing that and being part of that and even like being in your world, amazing. So thankful. So I would also just reiterate that that has been so valuable and this is super special. Um, As far as me, I am a licensed clinical social worker. So I've been doing this for a little while. I've been all over the place within the field of social work. Um, I got my undergrad in that and then I got my master's in that. And so because I did both, I got to do um, a shorter master's program. So if anyone's looking to do that, I highly recommend shortening that time frame and just doing both the same thing. Um, I started off in like social work as far as like developmental disability. So folks who are experiencing that. And so I worked with some individuals with that stuff, learned a ton, moved into adoption, which was why I actually became a social worker. So I got to dive into infant domestic adoption, which was great. And then I went from there um, into schools. And so that was high school is where I started in Washington, where I went to get my master's, which was awesome. High school was definitely very different than infant baby stuff um, and stuff with parents, but really exciting. And it's a really cool phase of life. And so I was really stoked on specifically working in schools. Uh, So I also, while I was in Washington, worked in the hospitals and did kind of some uh, ER work, um, as well as like the psych unit for adults. And so that's really hefty mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got to see some of the most intensive moments of people's lives where they've had huge experiences that were usually pretty traumatic that led them to the hospital um, where I would get to serve them and get to support their family through the process and really see kind of that side of the the lens, which is a really hard one, but also a really honest one yeah. on where mental health can go. Right. 
Um, and then I went back to schools because I was so excited about it and did um, some behavioral schools. So again, with folks experiencing significant mental health. Um, so kids or adolescents that were basically unable to be in the public education system because they were unsafe um, due to their mental health at school. So I went into that and I did that for a little less than a year because it was so hard. Um, And then we ended up switching gears and I went back into public schools um, and did behavioral support. So kids who are, again, really struggling with their mental health um, and exhibiting a lot of behaviors because of it at school. And then from there, I started private practice and now I get to do therapy every day, which is awesome. And a little bit more specific to what I am super excited about and with some different demographics than I feel like I was in in schools. What's the new thing that you're specific into right now? Sure. Yeah. So I still do definitely adolescents. I do a lot less little kids. So I've worked in like literally elementary school, middle school, high school and colleges. Um, But I kind of am off of the really small kids just because you can't get as far with their mental health because they just aren't developed in the same way. And so I like the like one-on-one connection piece that you get with either adolescents or adults. Right. Because you actually get to like converse a little more where the little ones is more of like a behavior modification due to what's going on. Um, So that's a shift. And I think even adults, I was pretty leery on working with adults for a long time. Like I worked with parents but I was definitely more focused on kids and what adolescents. Was, what made you leery about it? Oh, man. I think they're just so complicated, right? Yeah. We're all so complicated. And I think we all have patterns of thought. And so we all have, like, these very ingrained things based on our childhood, our experience, our trauma that then adults get really stuck in. Mm-hmm. And so I think my ultimate fear when I went into it was, like, first of all, can I – be a good enough therapist to shift that for people or help people see a different perspective yeah, and kind of undo some of that work. And I think that was pretty intimidating to me. And then also I think like the power dynamic, right. is just so different than like with kids where it's like, Oh, I can go in and not have imposter syndrome because I know that I have. Do you still have it right now? Do you still deal with that? Or do you? Yeah. Yeah. I think all therapists do. Yeah. I think being in this field, we would love to say no. I would love to be like, no, I love it. And I know yeah. everything, Yeah, but that's not real. Yeah. And we all like have our own issues. So you probably feel like, yeah. Does it feel like, I remember one therapist telling me they kind of sometimes feel like a hypocrite because they're like telling things to patients and sometimes they're guilty of doing it themselves. Oh, so do you feel that all the time? Yeah. I wouldn't say all the time. I think there's certain things I'm like, Oh, that's okay. going okay. Yeah. Then there are those things in my life that I'm like, Oh, I struggle with this too. Right. Yeah. And I try to be open in a, in a positive manner with my folks that I work with in order for them to see that I'm a person. Yeah. And I come from that lens. Yeah. Because I don't think it's authentic if you don't. Yeah. And I have gone through therapy myself. Right. And so I actually have had therapists who were, were really honest and open with me about their own stuff. And that impacted me in the way of like, oh my gosh, we're both people. Yeah. And it felt more of a connection than... I've also gone to a therapist who felt really methodical and really um, by the book. Yeah. Like she was like writing notes and like I felt like it was a checklist. Is it hard for <laughs> you as a therapist to see a therapist? Because I feel like for me as a dentist to see a dentist, I'm always like critical of them or overcritical. So does that affect yeah. your therapy? Because I think that's interesting how like you're going to a therapist to get help and, you know, to just go through therapy, which is normal. But 
since it's your line of work, do you ever see what they're saying to you? And like you, I don't know, I feel like you can like analyze what they're saying to you because you were taught a certain way to talk to patients and stuff. So yeah, yeah. I think that's a good point. I also think about that for like you, right? Being yeah. in dentistry, I'm sure you're like, what's happening? Yeah, but that's like, I feel like not as bad because at the end of the day, I don't see them as often. So like when it does happen, it is annoying, but then I'm like, won't see them for a couple months again. But you as a therapist, mm -hmm. like you, we go, I do therapy every week or every mm -hmm. other week. And so you're seeing them a lot more often. And so I always wonder how that is on your end. Yeah, it's tricky. I think my experience would be that that can be a really big turnoff for me with therapy. Yeah. Like I had one that I started um, with when I was like, I don't know, 14. And so I was young and always oh, younger than that. Actually, now that I think about that, it's like 11. Yeah. So even younger than even right 14. And so because I think that power dynamic was there, she, I was able to be like, oh, she's amazing. She knows so much. Mm -hmm. Right. And I took a lot of like wisdom from her and then going through school, you get this knowledge. Yeah. So then the first one I saw, um, was after I had already done grad school Okay. and I, was like, oh my gosh, she is doing all of these things that I do to other people. Yeah. And I even was like, please don't paraphrase me. Yeah. Like I, I had you to told like, her that? oh yes. Wow. I asked her directly. I was like, please don't do that. Wow. That feels really uncomfortable for me. And I needed to feel like a conversation. Yeah. And so I think like I, I'm pretty direct. And so I just had to be like, That's that good. doesn't feel good. Yeah. Like I know what's happening. And they were pretty receptive about it. She was receptive. I think there were some challenges with her in regards to like, she was kind of all over the place and like would eat snacks while we we're talking and just different things that I was like, yeah, like I want you to be a little bit more of an authentic connection, but yeah. not like to the point of eating your snacks. Right. <laughs> so That's I, wild. Yeah. That's like a whole different world. Well, yeah. how did it, have you ever had a therapist or have you ever given therapy to a therapist or? Yes. Yeah. 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 Have you ever had that issue happen? Like where they're analyzing you or? I mean, I, I think that happens, yeah. right? I think it does. I have seen a couple therapists. Do you feel like you interact differently with them based on that or approach it differently because of that? Yeah. Yes, very much so. Yeah. So I start that from the get-go. And actually what's really weird is when I started my practice, I knew that that was something that people specialize in is yeah. right seeing other professionals. Yeah. I didn't anticipate doing that right away. I anticipated definitely doing that later in my career, yeah. but it started right away where somebody reached out and I was like, oh, you're you're a professional and yeah. you want to see me and so I think early on I was like surprised and then ultimately like that went so well that I actually found that I love it yeah is there like a specialty for therapists to see therapists or anything like that no I mean you could specialize in that and yeah. you could really hone your marketing towards those folks right. and that is something that people do yeah. like there are therapists who only see the other therapists and like other mental health right or yeah. they see doctors right. or people who work in schools or right like firemen yeah. there's different things that you can really hone in on and really learn a lot about that or if you have that experience yeah that helps too okay um but i would say there's a different connection yeah. and even early on if i meet a therapist and i know that they already are i initially <laughs> say i want this to feel like a conversation i know you know how therapy yeah. works we all know that we need our own therapy regardless yeah. of our knowledge and so it becomes more of like, how can I reflect back to them? Because we all have spots we don't see. Right. And I have therapists come to me and they're like, I'm stuck. Yeah. Right. Like I figured out X, Y, Z and they'll like come with tons, yeah. tons of stuff like written down and they've mapped it. Yeah. And then I get to be like, okay, well, let's look at it like this. And they're still surprised just like every other 
patient or client I see, yeah. right? Like it's the same exact process, yeah. just a little bit more of a banter. I would say yeah. there's more banter okay. is maybe a good way to put it. And then going off that, do you feel like as a therapist, when you hang out with friends, like when you hang out with me, or anyone, <laughs> do you feel like you're overanalyzing people? Or do you ever bring that, turn that on? Because I brought that with uh-huh. me before and I was like, I don't know, like if you... <laughs> have trouble turning that switch off sometimes i love this question yeah. i face this question every day yeah, of my life crazy, which sorry for asking it but i feel like the <laughs> listeners are probably thinking the same thing so now they can finally have an official verdict on the answer yeah i have to i just giggle at that because it's such a common thing yeah um yeah i mean i think that there's certain times that's hard yeah i mean as a dentist i do that all the time like I'm if sure. i see some tooth that's like something's going wrong with somebody's teeth like i'm not obviously going to verbalize it but i see it and i notice it so i was wondering yeah. like from your end even in relationships i'm sure there's mm-hmm. like times when you can probably easily suss out things mm-hmm. that not many people can see which is yeah. definitely a superpower to have but sometimes it can probably be annoying because like you have to like shut that out too right yeah i would say you nailed it right it's sometimes a superpower where i'm like oh cool cool, cool. i know this about you and i'm not really going to engage yeah or it can be like oh my gosh i know this and that's actually really frustrating that i'm seeing this yeah because sometimes right my friends or people i'm interested in or dating aren't ready to change right and so then i'm just in this weird spot of like oh do i point this out yeah do i not point this out yeah does that cross a line? So it does put me in sometimes a really awkward position. Yeah. I think especially with dating. Yeah, I'm sure guys <laughs> like probably feel like you're constantly analyzing them where like Oh yeah. Um I don't know, do they ever like tell you like stop therapizing me or something like that? Oh I've heard it. Yeah. Yeah. But I can say anything and they're gonna assume that. Yeah, that's true. I also would say the people who have asked those questions typically are struggling with something okay. they don't want me to see. Yeah. Or they don't feel ready to dive into right. in some regard and so I feel like people do say that but I would say most people who are pretty comfortable with where they're at yeah would just be like oh like you understand right, right? and it'd be more of this like vulnerable connection yeah instead of a like you're therapizing me in a defensive right. response at least from what I've seen I'm sure that's different for different people yeah but even within friendships right I notice things I see things yeah I mean as your friend I can verify that like you're very <laughs> well engaged with me whenever i talk to you full eye contact listening fully intently which like everybody should do but i think as a therapist you have that extra kind of like strength in it and i really admire it because it kind of teaches me how like you know the correct way to interact and communicate because sometimes i don't know just the way we're raised or something like sometimes Mm -hmm. your communication is different based on what you're used to being like the right way to communicate yeah um but it is nice because i feel like every time i talk to you you're fully there you're fully Mm -hmm. present listening to me um and yeah that's why i thought you'd be an awesome guest on this podcast she even has notes on here so (laughs) i'm ready i don't want to like drift off too far but i I will ask questions that people probably ask therapists all the time just speaking clear the air yeah um but one last question i was going to ask was um do i'm sure as a therapist because coming from me as a dentist i get Mm -hmm. friends that i won't hear for years and randomly will text me with a picture of something in their mouth and be Mm. like what's going on or like what's going on you know it's like yeah technically that's my job and it's not like you go up to an engineer and you're just like hey can you like help (laughs) engineer this this, right so it's like it's weird because as friends we're putting these like weird things where people think that they can just ask you off the bat even when you're off the clock and so as a therapist do you deal with that often i'm sure you do Mm -hmm. and when you do how do you 
interact with patients or, or how do you interact with those friends and bring up the subject? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah. I feel like I do get put in sticky spots. Yeah. That is absolutely I'm true, sure. just like you. I think where it, it becomes a little bit wild is if it's a safety concern because then I'm literally <clears throat> obligated to yeah. step up and to do something about it. Where sometimes if it's something that's not a crisis or not a safety concern, I can be like, hey. And what I, would const- sorry, interrupt, no, 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 constitute as like a crisis? Is it more like abuse or um, like suicidal? Like probably all the above. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you nailed it. So it would be right, like absolutely, if someone is a safety concern for themselves. So if they have suicidality, are thinking about that, talking about that, yeah. or going through with that, right? Um, I've gotten those calls. I've had friends that I know from, right, like undergrad or different areas of life that I'm no longer connected to, yeah. but then they post on Facebook, right, something about wanting to c- commit suicide. <laughs> and I'm then put in a position of, oh my goodness, yeah. what am I going to do about this? And have you, I'm assuming you've been put in that position, but has it been a pretty significant amount of times or? Yeah, I feel like quite a few. Wow. Or I have somebody be like, hey, this person's doing this and yeah. this is like something that's going on. What do I do? And sometimes I can be like, X, Y, Z is your steps, right? Do this process. Right. Other times mental health is so complicated and so sticky and so gray and not black and white that I'm like, I'm so outside of the situation. I can't really help you. Yeah. But I can help you find somebody who can. Okay. So then I kind of guide them back to how can I help you find a professional for yourself or for this other person and kind of remove myself from the dynamic. And what about for those people who are just like... Obviously, it's not that serious. Mm-hmm. It's something more kind of superficial level. Like, mm-hmm. how do you approach those people? And this goes for mm-hmm. people listening to who are probably looking at being therapists, and maybe that's yeah. something they're concerned about or wondering how you approach those subjects. Yeah, it's a good question. It kind of depends, right, on, like, my connection to that other individual who's asking. Yeah. I would say boundaries. Right. I'm a... I'm, I love boundaries. Yeah. I love them. I think they're so good. Yeah. And I think they're so important. And I think we talk about them in a way that makes them sound harsh. Yeah. But I think there's so many graceful and kind ways right. to compassionately set those boundaries up. And so typically what I'll do is I'll like support the friend, talk through it. I can also catch myself when I'm in kind of therapy role. Like there's a shift yeah. in the way I ask questions, I would say mostly. And so if I catch myself, I say, hey. I'm noticing you're really struggling with this. I love you. I care about you. I'm in your corner. But I can't ultimately always be that person for you. Right. Because that's that's just not feasible. I can't do that at work and at home and with every single person in my life. But I would say there's also like this part of me that is compassionate and caring and empathetic just in general. Yeah. Right? Like that's my relationships with friends. Yeah. Like that's just like naturally who I am too. And so I think it's mostly for me identifying like if it's like hurting my life or not serving me or not like feeling okay and I'm crossing the line. And that's a hard thing to gauge sometimes. Yeah. But I think it's ultimately going back to kind of like that gut check. In social work, in therapy, we talk about gut check yeah. all the time as professionals. And like I have an amazing supervisor and she all the time will be like, what's your gut say? And that's ultimately like sometimes what has to guide you. Yeah. And so I think like for me, the gut check is where I'm like, oh, that feels sticky. Yeah. Oof, I don't like that. And then I ultimately set that boundary. Okay. Doesn't mean it's always gone well. That's great advice. (laughs) Okay. Well, keep that in mind, guys. No matter what profession you're in, set some boundaries in them. 
Yeah. But yeah, obviously, as you know, um, this podcast is about passions and uh, there's been a pretty big running theme of people's passions being their profession, which is great mm. so far. I've had a two for two so far. So <laughs> um, now being the third one, uh, you did mention that, you know, being a therapist is your passion and you do love what you do, which is incredible. I yeah. think like not many people are fortunate enough to be in a job that they love like this. And it's always great as a friend seeing that because it not only motivates me, but um, it's just fun to see because like every time I hang out with you it's like we talk about it at some point and uh like me being in therapy now and I think like the stars aligned really well to where I met you at a time when I started really valuing therapy and if I knew you three or four years ago I wouldn't have really put much thought into it yeah it's uh, true and so with that being said you know therapy being your passion do you want to kind of dive deeper into like why it's your passion and mm -hmm. what drove you into it and uh I guess what strengthened it since you've been in it. Sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to fight my cough. So if you guys hear me sounding weird, that's why. But go for it. I'm trying not to interrupt you. Yeah, no, you're good. Don't worry. If you have to cough, do yeah, it up. Yeah, I'll try. <laughs> um, good questions. I would say it's a passion. I think, especially mental health, it's a hard job. It's a hard like profession to be in every day. And so you have to love it to some extent to make it. Yeah. And you see people even in school, especially grad school, you see people fall off because they realize that they're not passionate about it enough to make it through the things you have to manage and deal with. Yeah. Because you have secondary trauma. Yeah. Right? You experience that every day. Yeah. It's not an easy job for sure. Yeah. So that's why I think it's fascinating that, I mean, you know, I had in dental school where people were thought they loved it and by second or third year hated it or just yeah. like realized this is a lot of money I'm putting into this and mm -hmm. a lot of time and I don't know if it's right for me. So with therapy, I think like with that being said, you do deal with all this trauma and all this other stuff. So even mm -hmm. if you do love it, you're adding more of the stuff that could potentially make you not love it. Mm -hmm. But in your case, it sounds like it's done the opposite, which is incredible. Yeah. Um, but was there ever a moment where you doubted it? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there have been a few moments I've doubted it. I wouldn't be honest with myself if I said there weren't. Yeah. Um, I think my thought around it is whatever headspace I go into it with is what's going to come out, right? So if I go in and I'm like, oh my gosh, all these people are driving me nuts. They're not changing. They're not like willing to look at these things. They're struggling too much. And then I go in with that. I'm going to come at, out at the end of the day and be like, wow, it was a terrible day. Yeah. I got nowhere. Right. And so I think for me, it comes down to like, how do I go in with that unconditional positive regard towards every human I interact with during my workday? And then also, how do I like keep the hope and instill that in myself and instill that resilience in these people? Yeah. Because it is hard and it is heavy. Yeah. And I think the moments that I've seen myself not feel motivated and struggle were when there were really significant safety concerns for my well-being. Right. Right. Like in the adult psych unit, there are some very significant safety concerns that can yeah. happen, right? Like yeah. people, people are violent. Yeah. Like, and when they're having a mental health crisis to the extent that they are, if they're hospitalized, there's a lot of different um, triggers that you don't know. Yeah. And like people do get uh, sedated and like there are things that happen and you see that are really, really scary. Yeah. And I think as like a young female, working in the ER and in the psych unit taught me a lot about the realities of what that looks like Yeah, and made me question some things, right? When I saw horrific 
violence happen towards one of the nurses I worked with, that was a moment I was like, why am I doing this? Right. And seeing that and seeing like that she could never be a nurse again and had a TBI because someone was so violent towards her at work. Like you question everything. Yeah. Right. You're like, I'm putting myself in this. Yeah. I think a lot of people overlook like, you know, I think a lot of people assume therapy is just like you're just sitting down and talking to this person, but they don't Mm -hmm. realize in order for you to get to where you are, you've had to go through a lot of, you know, going to a psych ward, Mm -hmm. doing stuff like that. And so you interact with a lot of different types of people and it can leave a lot of that secondary trauma, like you said. Mm -hmm. And then you, yeah, maybe you could just go into an office where you're just seeing like adults that are fully functional human beings, but it's a tough job. And I think you carry over a lot of stuff, just like nurses and all Mm -hmm. other professions, but I don't think therapists are, um, magnified in that extent to realize like how much you guys go through so yeah um yeah it's definitely good to know because yeah even when you bring it up to me a lot of this is news to me mm-hmm. that i wasn't aware of so yeah it's pretty incredible but yeah when i think we don't talk about it right because you ultimately even me i had to be like okay how do i want my career to look yeah because i realized like some of those things i was witnessing every day i couldn't couldn't hold space for for myself yeah and so like most therapists have done other parts of that job or other parts of the field, right? Like counselors or social workers, whatever they may be. Um, and we don't talk about those things because you're you're then in the room sitting across from somebody. Yeah. And like that's a completely different phase where you don't talk about yourself. Right. And you also like I think for me I struggle to talk about those things because like I also honor that that person was having such an experience and they were in so much suffering and pain that they then exhibited these behaviors that aren't authentic to who they are. Yeah. And so I think I struggle with that, especially some with my adults, but more so with like the kiddos I worked with that were really violent Yeah. and made me question a little bit of what I was doing. Yeah. Um, because I also really care and I know that that's not who they are. Yeah. And people have to do those jobs. Like those people need love and support and somebody there. And how do you... <clears throat> I guess separate that because I feel like it's such a hard thing because you care about these people and you genuinely want to help them. But then how do you find that line to draw when you, when you're done with your job and you're off the clock, how do you not bring that into your personal life or worry about them outside of it? That's a good question. I think that's goes back to your last question. And that's why I shifted was because it wasn't something that I was able to leave at the door. Yeah. Um, in a few of my jobs. And so, if I notice that it's coming over into my personal life, it's mostly in like a cognitive way where I notice my thoughts were more negative, right? Those, those early signs of burnout where I was like, okay, I'm really negative. I'm not enjoying things I like outside of work very much. I'm isolating because it can be really isolating to see these things. And like, people don't always understand what you're talking about. Cause it's just kind of a little bit wild. Yeah. Um, and so I think as soon as I see that, is when I'm like, okay, I have to switch. Yeah. And I also think now I've learned a lot more self-care, my well-being, self-compassion for myself is really key in me making it out of my day. Like I have certain rituals at the end of my workday. I do every single day okay. because it signifies for me, okay, I'm done. Yeah. Right? That's closed and I'm moving to the next part of my life. So I think that's helped me a lot. Um, also, I would say within this field, like if you're ever going to, as a listener, do this, right? You have amazing people who then support you and you have a supervisor for a couple of years um, outside of grad school. And so 
those people can teach you the things they've learned because they've obviously made it in the field. And so having somebody in your corner to talk to professionally is key. And like having that supervisor, I've been so blessed with amazing mentors who I would not be who I am personally or professionally without them. Right. And they've really helped me learn those skills. And even like still to this day, my supervisor will check in and she'll be like, are you doing your self care? That's how you do it. Yeah. Right. Are you good? That's good. And so like having somebody who also like keeps me accountable to that is key because we can't always see ourselves. Right. And like in those jobs where I was struggling, I don't think I saw it until finally somebody was like, yeah, right. It was my sister. She's like, what's happening? Yeah. You are so stressed all the time. And so I think having people who like reflect that back is key. And how are you feeling now? Like since your new job and everything, have you been in a much better place with that? Oh my gosh. Yes. So much better. Private practice. Yeah. I will say is the way to go. (laughs) I can vouch for that. I think, I think it transfers to most professions, but yeah, it gives you more autonomy and more control of your life and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So that's great. You also get to shift like the kind of people you serve too into things you're really passionate about. Right. And I think that served me really well too. Okay. And going a little bit away from crisis, which I love and adore, and I can work through and I actually really enjoy. Yeah. But like to things that I enjoy just as much that are more on that like functional, hopeful side in a more um, like productive way. It feels more productive for yeah. me. And so I think now I'm like happier, healthier. And you're doing it mostly over the phone and in person, right? Or so mostly telehealth actually. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's like a video, basically like a zoom call okay. on a certain platform. Okay. It's sometimes phone calls. Yeah. I have a lot of folks who love to walk and talk, yeah. um, which I love because yeah. then they're like walking around getting movement in. Yeah. It's a little easier I think, right. for them not to just like stare at me. Cause that's also not always fun for people to be like, you're staring at me. Like I know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's an interesting. I did that over um, COVID for a while. Yeah. So outside of um, obviously your current position, I know you had some notes. Is there anything you wanted to kind of address or talk about that you would thought were important for people? That's a good question. I think I wrote notes because, right, I was like, oh, I got to talk about so many Yeah, I mean, if so there's scary. anything that you want to talk about, um, you're to, but if you're happy with yeah. the flow going, we can keep going. I mean, I love it. You're asking so many great questions. I would say like one of the main things is like when you even asked me on this, right? Like what's my passion? Yeah. It made me so excited because that's what I feel like I get to do in therapy yeah. is like help people align their passions yeah. with like what they're doing. And so like this concept of like moving towards what's meaningful is what I like try to help all my clients do. <clears throat> right. And I think like you having this podcast and like igniting this in other people is so exciting because we don't always have people being like, yes, what are you passionate about? Yeah. How are we doing it? What can we do to like get you to that? Yeah. And like, how can we like promote that in others? Yeah. Especially in the U S right. We have all these like work harder, do more, all these expectations that are not promoting like that hustle culture, but like without the drive or ambition for it, just like you're yeah. just doing it to do it. But yeah, I mean, I think I I did this for a number of reasons, but one thing, like I'm kind of every day taking a step back to think like, why am I doing this? Like, what's the purpose behind, behind everything? And mm-hmm. with the podcast, another thing I realized is when I went through that depression, I, like mm-hmm. you said, you like lose that love for things you do every day. And mm-hmm. I started to like, you know, not like doing simple things, like even just watching movies. And I love yeah. movies and um, 
it was terrifying because it gave me kind of a glimpse into like what my life could be like without passions or without having like this like love for things and um yeah that's why i wanted to do this to not only kind of instill that in other people or bring that out of people but also you know um re spark that passion in me Mm because you when you're around people that are like that it's very contagious and it's like it kind of reminds you like oh this is how happy you can be talking Mm -hmm. about things you love and so that was the thing with you is like whenever you talk about um therapy i was always so like enthralled by it and i was always like you know i'm always intrigued by it and i you know that i whenever i hang out with you i'm always asking questions about it because i think it's such an interesting profession and the people that are in it are clearly passionate about it because Mm -hmm. of stuff you guys go through so um yeah i mean i'm glad that you wanted to be on this podcast i'm glad you wanted to talk about it um i did want to bring up like in my last episode i had a guest on who is an incredible person um Mm -hmm. that his views about um depression and mental health are a little bit different than um what you know your goal is to inspire with people so i wanted to kind of see how you approach that subject in terms of people who um don't identify it as being a clinical issue or Mm -hmm. how you address that kind of stuff and if you want to kind of delve deeper into that and talk about that more yeah first of all i am so excited that you like are willing to talk about mental health and like share your story because that's how like people actually feel accepted and seen in the world right and igniting that like passion in other people i just like respect it and i see it and i think like now especially i think this month is like literally men's mental health oh is it yeah yeah so it's like very great timing totally didn't find that but yeah so we love it and i think like that is such an important thing that we don't do enough is like share our own parts right and so i think when people have these different perspectives around mental health and everybody's so like i respect their opinion whatever they want or choose to believe is fantastic however i think that there are um so many different platforms that nowadays it's really hard to figure out kind of like what is true and what is not true i of course come from higher education and i think that there's a lot of research that comes and backs this information especially around like clinical depression it's so prevalent and there are so many different things that right become clinical when we have like a threshold that we cannot function at Mm -hmm. that's really the difference is like humans i love this idea like our moods go up and down every single day right they're never stable they're never just like plateauing so we're up and down but when the trend is so far down and you're having all of these symptoms every single day your system and literally like your brain chemistry your hormones your body everything it can no longer take it and so then it becomes clinical because your body's not able to like create the right hormones that help you be okay and help you be happy and help you go back to the up and downs that we all face and so i think right these clinical things are just basically like have you met that threshold of not functioning well in your daily life and needing support So I ultimately, like, you asked the question of how do I face people and, like, interact with them around that topic. And I think my first thing is just, like, genuinely trying to understand and then helping them also see maybe some different angles of why, like, clinical would be something that's, like, different than, like, just normal ups and downs. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the thing with my guest is they genuinely had... um, 
the right view on it. I think their perspective was that there was, there was just uh, like a situational depression, mm-hmm. and then yeah, um, I think it was just kind of addressing how there's situational depression, which is what yeah. I went through, and then there was clinical depression, which is like uncontrollable. Mm-hmm. Um, and one, I mean, not saying that one's better or worse than the other, mm-hmm. but in situational depression. I was kind of aware at a certain point that, okay, I'm depressed because I'm yeah. losing a love for things. I'm not doing things that I usually do. Mm-hmm. So I kind of try to get myself out of it, which is what he was talking about. You know, right. when you're in that stage, you have it, it's mm-hmm. on you to kind of be self-aware and to like, to take action towards it. And yeah. I think um, that's the difference between clinical depression is where mm-hmm. you can be self-aware and you can realize you're going through it and whatnot. But no matter what you do, it's not going to change that. Yeah. And you have to do other things, like obviously get on medication or mm-hmm. start seeing a clinical psychologist or therapist, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the difference yeah. between the two. Yeah, um, you nailed that. But are there any things that I missed on that? Or is there anything that I have like kind of misconstrued? No, I feel like that's very accurate. I think that there's this concept of like, and I even as a therapist, like I'm a huge proponent of physical wellness and well-being, right? That's one of my huge passions in life. And so I think there's a lot of um, ideology around that being like, okay, if you have like your physical health in in play and like you're doing well with that, you should be mentally fine. And yes, that's true for some people. Yeah. But there are also some cases where that's absolutely not true. Right. And with like even um, like people who are clinically depressed, they can go to the gym five days a week and do the hardest workouts of their life and it's not going to touch it. Yeah. And I like talk to all my clients about, Hey, what about movement? Right? Like all of these different holistic ways to help yourself basically. However, sometimes people don't see that and they don't have the skills or the opportunity to be like, okay, this is situational right now. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. So it doesn't become pervasive. Yeah. And so like, that's where you see that clinical piece come in where people just like had no idea. Right. And they just like hit this this different threshold. Yeah. I mean, it's even crazy because there were points where I knew that I was depressed and I knew mm-hmm. that I needed to get off this couch and do something, but then I yeah. didn't want to stop because there's a lot of drive there too. So it's kind of like, even with that awareness, it doesn't mean that you're going to change your habits or lifestyle because mm-hmm. you're not wanting to do anything. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's kind of like a tricky situation. Um, but yeah, in terms of like, I guess helping people who are listening right now and maybe they're in doubt because there was a point where I was in doubt of whether I had depression or not. What advice would you give them to kind of seek that help or kind of take the steps towards either realizing whether they have situational or clinical depression and how can they identify the difference between the two for themselves? Mm. Good question. I think that there are multiple pieces of that. I think the first question would be like, them sitting down and taking some time to actually identify what their experience is, right? When we're in life, we're not always taking that moment to be aware fully, right? Like you can have this like overarching awareness, but you're not necessarily like, okay, what has led me here? Yeah. Right. Because there are factors that happen that make it so like, yeah, you totally just have a situational depression or you have like what's called adjustment disorder, which would be situational depression. And so you're adjusting to something. Yeah. But if you look at your life and you're like, oh my goodness, I have been feeling this way for like years. That's when you want to be like, ah, let's question this, right? Or even a year. I would say like a good threshold from my perspective is like six months. Where have you been in the last six months? And how does that look different than the six months before that? And so looking at that, and I would also say, 
the difference would be important to identify if it's like adjustment or situational versus clinical. Mm -hmm. However, both can be really well served in a therapeutic setting, right? Like you can go with a situational depression and get so much support and so much help to help you have skills to support you through whatever comes in life. Right. And so I would say that's something I really want to like hone in on is empowering people to like seek help no matter which one it is. If they're struggling to a point where they're like, oh, this might be something I should worry about. Or I'm talking to every friend I have about XYZ in my day and I can't stop. Yeah. Right. That's another sign is like we go about our lives. And if it's like you keep going to every single friend and saying the same stuff, you're seeking answers. Like about your situation. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I did. Yeah. Yeah. It was wild. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Cool. Good to know. Yeah. And that's what most people do. Yeah. Right. And your family and your friends are like, what? Yeah. Right, or they're like, oh, I've told him seven times. Yeah, this is what I think. Yeah, it's but you're like, so you try to find reasons and mm-hmm. behaviors or patterns and things like that. Okay, it's good to know. Yeah, like you're seeking that out. I call that polling. It's also, I feel like, <laughs> to a certain degree, it's kind of detrimental because you're hearing advice from so many different sources, and they're not all the same pieces mm-hmm. of advice. And then you get more conflict in your brain about like what the right way to go is. And then that adds on top of the already developing conflict you had about this, whatever you talked about. Yeah. Um, which is what I went through. Um, it's so overwhelming. Yeah, it is. But yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's good to know that it's like a normal pattern of behavior. Very but, normal. Yeah. Okay. Well then, um, yeah, I, uh, don't have any other crazy. Well, I did want to bring up the questions that, um, I came across on Instagram that I asked yeah. people. Um, so, Mike should love it. <laughs> um, one of my friends uh, did mention that the reason he hasn't seen a therapist or the reason he hasn't been going to a therapist is because, and this reminded me of a scene from Ted Lasso where mm. he basically complained to the therapist. He's like, why would I want to come here and talk to somebody who I'm just paying to yeah. listen to me? And like, mm. it's you, it's like you're being paid to just listen and give advice. So I don't think it's genuine or I don't feel like it's a genuine person I'm talking to. I feel mm. like this person's on the clock and just doing it. Which is exactly that scene in Ted Lasso, and yeah. the way she responded was really well said. But um, yeah, I wanted to hear your thoughts on it. I mean, I think that's a good point. I think that is something I hear all the time yeah. from my adults who come to see me, right? Especially men, um, and I I've seen that a lot recently, right? And I think I can validate that that feeling is really fair because even me right that therapist I went to see made me feel like that yeah that she was basically there because she's getting paid right to be on the phone with me for an hour and so that really hurts right that's a painful experience and I think the fear of rejection is what I see behind that right his fear of rejection of like this person doesn't really care right and that's a human basic level is what we're all looking for is connection and like feeling like we are cared about right and one of the the number one things as um, a predictor of success, quote unquote success in therapy or growth or healing is rapport with your therapist. And so it is vital, 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 vital that you actually, like I would even say like vibe with them, right? Like that their energy is something that's like life giving for you mm-hmm. because if it's not, you're not going to benefit. You're going to go and you're going to be like, whatever, I can write this off. Okay. And so I, I always, right, like, I even suss my clients out. When we do a consult, it's not just for them to see if I am the right fit for them. It's also, like, are they the right fit for me to be able yeah. to serve them and have a relationship with them? Right. 
Because if we don't have that baseline, I can't get anywhere. Yeah. And I've seen that. I've had people I've worked with that we have such an amazing connection. We can have those conversations that are really vulnerable and we get really, really far in therapy and they have immense growth really quickly because they're open to me right. and open to what I share. I've also seen the flip side where that's not the case. And I've seen people struggle in the process of therapy. So have you had situations where you had to turn away a patient from the first meeting, just realizing that you're not aligned or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've had that. So I think that's just part of making sure that I'm going to serve them in a way that's going to help them. Right. And if I'm not going to be that person, I want them to find that. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I do that as a dentist too. And yeah. I just started doing that at this office, which is great because the mentor is just like, not all these patients are for you. And like as dentists, yeah. sometimes we were taught like in, I think it's more of a greedy approach. Like mm -hmm. these are just, Take you know, yeah. But then he tells me, he's like, sometimes like it's not a right fit. And if mm -hmm. they want to leave, they can leave. Like, you mm -hmm. know, and I, I think that's great because not only are you respecting the patient, yeah. you're respecting yourself as a provider and realizing like you're giving them the most, um, that they can get out of the, what they want. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's incredible. Um, do you think I've kind of asked you a question about that? Yeah. Do you think that comes down to like trust, right? I feel like dentistry is so much about trust yeah. in a similar way. Um, it's not only about trust with me, but trust in like the science or what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. And, you know, like a lot of this office is focused on, we call it holistic, but mm -hmm. we believe in science. We believe in mm -hmm. data and research. And um, we have certain patients that don't want to get, you know, fillings because there's some chemical that they don't like or they don't believe in fluoride and whatnot and yeah. we as dentists still believe in fluoride we still try to find alternatives if we can mm -hmm. but if you're fully committed to believing that you don't need an x-ray because there's radiation in the, there and it's going to whatever then i can't serve you as a patient because you know you're not going to go to a heart surgeon without them getting a chest scan to make yeah. sure it's safe to do surgery right same thing mm -hmm. as a dentist like so when there's a certain point where I realize that your inability to work with me is going to put me at risk, then mm -hmm. I have to realize I have to let you go or whatnot. Yeah. Uh, and I'm respectful about it. And we're, yeah. we try to be respectful, you know, um, they have their views and we have ours and there's probably a dentist out there that's going to do a treatment without worrying about that. And right. maybe that's out there for them. Um, but that's not us. And so I've had to learn or unlearn things here, yeah. which has been great because it's, I'm lear unlearning things that are detrimental to my profession and mm -hmm. relearning things that sure I might like lose a thousand patients along the way, but yeah. I'm going to gain the right ones for me that, you know, are fit for treatment. So I think mm -hmm. hopefully listeners in healthcare realizes it applies to every profession, mm -hmm. not only therapists, not only dentists. I think mm -hmm. you have to really respect your patient and knowing that if they're the right fit for you, because it is a relationship. Mm -hmm. And if you want a long-term relationship with them, you have to make sure you align in a lot of your values, yeah. um, which is just like real relationships. Which yeah. But um, yeah, uh, the other question um, was also from a guy. They were mostly from guys. Um, <laughs> Love it. I'm glad. There was uh, one that was talking about how he's not going to therapy because <coughs> he innately feels like he's a burden. And mm -hmm. so that's holding him back from it. Is that a common thing you come across where they don't like to talk about it because they feel like they're burdening people with their problems? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And I would say. you approach that or respond yeah. to that? I would say my first thought around that is that if that person has those true feelings of being a burden to someone they would be, right, like having a professional interaction with and paying, I would really worry that they may have, right, like 
the need for that support even more than somebody who may not say that. Because they're probably doing it with friends and family too, right? Yeah, exactly. They're probably universalizing that, right? Yeah. Like if they're already thinking that about a therapist, my guess is that they might say that about their family, their friends, anybody. And so I would really urge that person to like really look at what's happening for them yeah. and seek that support even more. Okay. Um, I would also say that that is such a common response. And I even have clients right now that every week will say to me, oh, I'm wasting your time. Yeah. Right. I'm wasting your time. Yeah. I'm a burden on you. Yeah. And I have to um, support that person with that being how they feel. Yeah. And also, right, like help them be curious about why that's the case and then seeing the truth of what's actually going on and how much like I genuinely want to support them. And therapists out there want to support people. We don't go into this to be like, screw people, right? Like yeah. go because we want to help them and want to support them and see growth and healing. Yeah. And so any professional that you would see has that at the bottom line, right? right? And so you wouldn't be a burden. You would just be somebody who you're needs a little help. support. Yeah. yeah, and you're trying to like support them live a better life that's more authentic and aligned with what they need. Yeah. And so really like bottom line, I would really encourage whoever you are out there to definitely go forward, take those really brave steps I know that's really scary and vulnerable, but it's also like the first step is the hardest and it gets a lot easier. Okay. I also want to speak to the fact, and I know I'm going off on this, but like men specifically feel this so much. Yeah. And it becomes, I think partially like it's rooted in shame, right? Men have so much shame they deal with in life yeah. around mental health or around like well-being or seeking like support. And that is so universal within, like, the U.S. and outside of the U.S. But, like, men especially feel that way because they're, like, I'm a burden because I am, like, seeking help when, like, they should get help just like everybody else. And there shouldn't be this weird stigma and shame around that. Yeah. Is it also, like, I don't want to assume, but is it also, like, the cultural expectations on men as being the caretaker and being the provider? So, like, mm -hmm. therefore, they shouldn't be the ones that need caretaking or mm -hmm. help like that absolutely yeah i would say that's definitely the case okay. or even these like gender roles <laughs> and like boxes we put people in in regards yeah. to like who's supposed to feel emotions yeah who's supposed to be emotional yeah yeah i mean it's still crazy that like a lot of the phrases we come across like don't be a girl don't mm -hmm. be a, don't be a pussy don't like mm -hmm. all these things were that kind of give the the idea that in order to have these feelings or whatever, you're basically being a female, which is like yeah. crazy. And yeah, I mean, it's definitely taken me some time to break out of that. It's not something easy for anyone. And I still think I have a lot to work on. There's a lot of things I still do that are just ingrained in me. It's like, like I'm a brown guy mm -hmm. who is male and raised in Texas. I'm like the perfect trio <laughs> of like toxic masculinity. But yeah. like, <clears throat> I think it's like, it helps just like having not only like a, people like you in our lives to like bring these up and talk about things and normalize it and not talk down to us either. I think like mm -hmm. a lot of guys also feel scared because they're like, you know, they know they're going to get like lectured or whatnot about it. And, yeah. Uh, that's the last thing they want to deal with. But yeah, yeah, I think you've done a great job in like approaching it in a very understandable ma manner. And even when mm -hmm. I told you about like, like I, I'm not going to lie the last episode, people were upset about the mental health thing, but mm -hmm. I think you realize that, and I realize that too, is like, it's all based on your upbringing and it's based yeah. on just, you know, your, um, 
your background and what you've experienced. And so it's nothing on him at all because he's one of the nicest men I know. And like, he'll help, you know, like anyone. Mm -hmm. And so I know that there's no negative intent on that. And it's just about education and talking about things and, you know, his perspective might never change, but that's fine because I think he still has a generally good view about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are some people that just need more education on it. Yeah. But also say, right, like, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And that is something that, like, I live by is, like, this person just may not know. Yeah. And that's okay. Or they may not know, like, just generally, like, how hurtful that might be to folks who need that extra support. And then even, right, like, moving through the shame (laughs) of, like, men feeling like it's something that's just, like, fixable. Right? Like, it's not always just going to be, like, fixed by, like doing these other things and so I think like, like accepting him and accepting that there's like different understanding is huge yeah and we all have to do that we all don't know things yeah. I don't know things yeah right and I think like just understanding that at a basic human level and having so much love and compassion is the key yeah to like everything in life that's true well do you have any other um tidbits or anything you want to oh man I don't know. I think something I thought was so exciting and I really wanted to talk about with you. And it's on this on the yeah. same train of things. And I mean, if, but if you have I, questions, yeah. for me too, go for it. Yeah, I have all kinds of things. I know we're good, like... No, 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 we're good on time. But um, this idea of passions, I was just like going to yoga, thinking about this really hard for the last week. It's this idea of like, okay, passions shift. So, right, like, I can talk about mental health, but I also have all of these other things that I, like, love. Yeah. And I think there's this idea of, like, your passions are the stories you tell. And I think that is such a cool concept. And it makes me, like, I'm geeking out just thinking about this yeah. concept. Where did you learn about it? So I had a client actually, like, literally say this to me the other day. Because he was talking about um, he had been from one state that was pretty conservative, pretty flat. Then he moved to Colorado and there was like mountains and he was explaining how he was noticing people around him when he would go back to, right, like a flat state where they drink a lot, but people would tell stories primarily about like partying and going out and like other people doing silly things when they're drunk or doing that, right? Like that, those were the stories he was hearing. And so then when he was in Colorado, there were all these stories about like amazing physical feats or skiing or like exercise or health all these other like stories that you notice in different spaces and so even like in Austin we have our own stories that we all tell and I think it's like this crazy concept that makes me excited to be like okay what kind of stories do we all want to tell right to each other in our lives what kind of stories are we like excited to talk about because I can think about like you and I'm like oh he's excited to talk about movies and like music and all these like cool things and those are like stories you love right you can talk about a show and it can be this fun amazing conversation that's so rich yeah and like that I think is where like my head was spinning on like where do we find that in our lives and how can we like notice those feelings of like excitement and joy Mm -hmm. and then start adding that to our life a lot more yeah because we all go through phases where like life's busy but like we have to do that for our well-being and like for us to have like a great rich life yeah i don't know this is just like an exciting thing i'm like geeking out no, about talking to you about it's totally great this is gonna be the soundbite that i'll use later on but yeah i that's what i'm saying is like even when i like hang out with friends like i would i don't mind talking about the most 
you know, like they say boring, but it could be like literally my friend talking about ants, but if you're super passionate about ants, it makes it that much more entertaining because like they are just so like, you know, enthusiastic about it. And I think that's so fun because I have been in situations where I'm talking to a patient about something they love and it's something I would have never thought somebody's like obsessed with their loves, but it's just fun to listen to them state all these fun facts and stuff. And yeah, when you bring the the story thing, it's kind of ironic because a lot of my passions are presented through an Instagram story, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, a digital way for me pre- to present it. And it's fun because like, you know, when I have my top tunes days, it's like, mm-hmm. it's just like short period of time. I don't know who's watching it. I don't really care who's watching it. I just love doing it because it makes me happy and it yeah. makes me be a child for like 10 minutes to just talk about an artist or an album I love. And yeah, I love that. And I love the interactions I get after it because I'll have mm-hmm. somebody be like, Oh, I love this album or I connected to this or that. And it's, right. that's what I love about the passion too, is because you'll find shared connections with other people mm-hmm. through things, whether it's the same subject or something similar to it. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's honestly why I did this podcast because you don't get these opportunities to talk about things with these people. Like, yeah, it would be kind of weird if I was like, Hey, Lacey, do you want to come over and just like talk about passions? But I mean, you would have been down for it, but like yeah, not a lot I of people would. would be down for stuff like that. They'd be like, what? That's weird, bro. Let's just like get dinner or something. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think this forces us to sit down and like actually engage on that and give you time mm-hmm. to think about it, which is awesome. Yeah. Okay, I'm glad you like took the time to like actually. Yeah. I was excited. Yeah. I like learned a lot super about myself even. Yeah. And like, I know people are excited to listen to you because like oh. therapists in general I think are such an interesting thing in our society because everyone needs a therapist and yet it's something that not everyone has and it's not even um like you know people don't stress the importance of it mm-hmm. as much like we do as like millennials and younger people now thankfully but for a long time therapists were kind of like an, an optional thing and yeah. they still are considered an optional thing but more so being focused on um so I think, you know, for you to go, <laughs> go into a profession that not many people even consider going to see is admirable and mm-hmm. do it with the intention of wanting to help people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, thank you for that. And hopefully it'll become a more common thing. But yeah, I think you're absolutely you're doing great stuff. And you're one of the reasons I went to a therapist. So uh, I appreciate that. Um, my heart. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, what else? I feel like there's so much more we can cover, though. Um, yeah. Are there any like stigmas or anything you want to break about therapy or anything that like people assume about you that's not true? Oh, that's a good question. Um, that was one of the questions. I yeah, that would make sense. I mean, I think there's so many stigmas when we think about mental health. Yeah. There's so many. Especially just, like, like cinema and Hollywood. Like when I think about therapy, I automatically think about Sopranos and I, yeah. that whole thing. Because like I think people automatically assume you go to a therapist if you're a killer or like mm-hmm. you know like you have all these mental health issues they right. don't realize like you go to therapy like you go to a dentist for a regular cleaning it's yeah. like you go for checkups right you want to make sure everything's fine your your thought processes are working well and whatnot so mm-hmm. i mean that's one stigma i'm assuming is it's a huge awesome. stigma yeah right and that you're like broken yeah this idea of like you have to be like broken and at like bottom of the pit yeah. to go to therapy is so not true yeah I have people who are functionally, like, very, very great in life. Like, they are functioning so well, have amazing careers, amazing families, all these things, and yet they still are struggling with something. And I think there's this idea that, like, we look around as humans and we're like, everyone else is doing great. Yeah. Right? We have these rose glasses. Yeah, it's like, like, it's 
It's like as kids, we thought like our parents and everyone is totally functional, but then you like grow up and you're like, wait, you're like just as messed up as I am right now. But yeah. Yeah. And we don't talk about it. No. Right. I think there's like this concept of like, I'm the only one struggling. And so then we like isolate instead of actually seeking community and support. Yeah. And I think if we broke that stigma of like everyone else is good and I'm not, we would heal the world. Yeah. Like I know that's a crazy statement, but like ultimately I really truly feel that way. Yeah. And I, I feel like that starts with one individual being vulnerable to another, right? Like even with you and I, I'm very vulnerable with you. Yeah. And that is not necessarily, even as a therapist, not my favorite activity to be emotionally vulnerable. That's hard. Yeah. That's a hard thing to do. And so I think knowing that it's like, we all need to start that and we all need to spark that within each other so that we can have those authentic moments of like, wow, all of us are having this experience because human, humanness is universal. Yeah. We all have pain, heartache, whatever it is. And so I think like starting there and breaking that stigma is key. Okay. I also feel like, I don't know, there's so many stigmas around like social media. Yeah. Like I love social media. You're amazing social media, right? Like you're passionate about it. Yeah, but it's also really awful. Yeah. And there's a ton that goes into like people's mental health and like how social media is impacting that significantly. Yeah. I Especially our lot. kids. Yeah, it's a lot harder to use social media to like in a good way than mm-hmm. a bad way i feel like the the danger pits in it are a lot deeper than like the positives yeah um and it's easy to spiral into those i mean it's a daily thing it's like it's i'm constantly trying to make sure i'm like using it for a good reason mm-hmm. and not like i don't know you go through those doom scrolls sometimes and you have to really yeah. self-check yourself and uh yeah, I think therapy has been great for that because it's oh, given me the self-awareness to like step back and be like, okay, I can't compare myself to like this person, that person and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, you're right in that regard. But um, another stigma, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, no. I have another one that popped into my head. Yeah. Is this idea that like therapy alone will fix you. Yeah. This is, this is probably done by because I'm like, oh, what do clients come to me? And they say during consults that yeah. I'm always like, oh no yeah i'm guilty of that too i thought like within my first few therapy sessions i was like i'm supposed to like be fixed by now right yeah you're not no so i think it's important to speak to that is like you don't go to therapy and like have a session and you just like walk out and you're like i'm good yeah that's not real and i think accepting that is part of the therapeutic process and therapists right like we walk people through that because we know that's the case and sometimes they come in with that expectation Mm -hmm. And so I would even like, if you're going to go to therapy, have that question of like, what am I trying to get out of this? And my hope would be your therapist would ask you that in the consult of like, what are your expectations or hopes? Because you have to put in the work in order for things to heal. And it's like this equation of wellness is little micro shifts that you have to choose every single day in order to heal over time. Mm -hmm. And so like the stigma and like the ultimate like, falsehood we all fall into is like oh it's gonna fix me i don't have the magical wand that's gonna fix anybody yeah they have those answers themselves i just get to walk alongside them yeah and i think that's a helpful lens too is right like finding a therapist you want to walk alongside it's like a mental shaman Mm -hmm. yeah it's a good way to put it i am gonna steal that that's magical (laughs) um but yeah that's awesome well it's definitely I think that's definitely helpful advice for people that are probably looking into it or wanting to go into it because yeah, I can vouch that I was definitely guilty for thinking that. Yeah. 
I was going to be fixed. And now I see it as like a working out. Like Mm -hmm. it's like a mental muscle that you just have to keep working at. And there are days you're not going to be great. There are days you're going to need it more than others. Like there's some weeks where I have nothing to talk about. And then there's some weeks where like you just can't stop talking about something. And Mm -hmm. it's never a consistent thing. But um, yeah, I'm grateful for y'all and I'm grateful for you so it's such an honor I'm thankful for you yeah thanks well it's so awesome um is there anything else you wanted to address before oh man a bit covered so much yeah I really think we talked about a lot I mean I'd be I have so much I'd be so happy to have you on again (laughs) we'll definitely have you on again soon and I think next time maybe I'll have you on with like maybe another friend who can also address stuff or maybe another therapist we'll see that'd be cool um but yeah, thank you, Lacey, for coming on. Uh, I love you, and I'm super thankful you're in my life. And uh, as for the viewers, thanks for listening. Um, do you have any last final thoughts for listeners? Oh my gosh, I'm just so excited to be here. Yeah. I adore you. Love you too. And I can't wait to come back on the podcast. Yeah. So sure. I hope you guys like it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, this is Hanging Out with Hamza. Um, go pursue your passions i forgot what the end line is but you know just take care of yourselves and be nice to each other like Lacey says and go to therapy that's right okay bye